Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we have a guest. Joining me on the telephone from North Shields in the UK is bookseller Anthony Smithson. Anthony runs a bookshop called Keel Row Books in the northeast of England. He is also the co-founder of the York Antiquarian Book Seminar, known as YABS for short which is a three-day educational seminar dedicated to the art of selling rare books. Welcome, Anthony. Hi, Richard, and uh, hello to all of your listeners. Thank you. Uh, Okay, first question. Let's get going. Let's talk about the York Antiquarian Book Seminar. So, in your words, can you describe what it is? Uh, It's kind of like a a boot camp for booksellers. So the the intent of the seminar is to teach the students that the rudimentary, and in some cases not so rudimentary, skills for establishing a rare book business. Um, It covers everything from uh, the more traditional second-hand book selling skills, such as how to catalogue a book properly, Uh, you know, know, hundreds of years old tried and tested uh, methods uh, through to buying at auction, buying privately. to uh, what should you buy, what, you know, where your natural instincts lie, um, and also uh, right the way through to selling online, setting up a website, book selling software, um, and much more besides, really. Um, yeah. So in September, was it, correct me if I'm wrong, was it the fourth one? Fourth annual it was one? The fifth. Fifth. It was the fifth. Fifth, okay, um, right. Uh, this year, as a keynote speaker, we had Lisa Unger-Baskin, uh, the, uh, uh, the bookseller and antiquarian who, who came over from New York City. Uh, she's also a political activist, a, a collector, an antiques dealer, and she's um, a you know, real leading light um, in the American book trade. Um, our specialty dealer was James Holgate from Lucius Books in York. Um, I've known James probably since uh, I was a fledgling bookseller in my early 20s. And James um, runs a very successful international business in modern first editions based from York, but he does he does the New York Book Fair, the major UK, major European book fairs. Um, anybody dealing in, or, or sorry, a, a, any serious collector in modern first editions has probably heard his name. Um, there's a lecture annually which is jointly delivered by Simon Beatty, one of our standing faculty members, and Tim Pye, uh, and that lecture is on selling to institutional libraries. So that's a, uh, that's a, I mean, there are people come and do the course really just to listen to that lecture. Uh, Tim is, is currently, his current position, he's a library's curator for the National Trust. He was, um, he was previously uh, at the British Library as curator of printed literary sources um, 1501 to 1800 if my memory serves he's also previously worked at Lambeth Palace Library and, and Cambridge University Library um, so that's a lecture delivered by Simon and, and, and Tim um, so if my memory serves thought, me sorry to interrupt if my memory serves yeah. me correctly it's not just lectures but it's actually interactive is, is that it right? it is interactive it's, uh, I mean uh, we encourage the students to ask as many questions as they want so the 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 we, we generally what we do have is, is a 
there's either a standing faculty member or a visiting lecturer will deliver, deliver their lecture, if you like, and then it will be open to the floor to, uh, for, to a question and answer session. Although that by no means um, uh, precludes them just interrupting the speaker as and when they're speaking. So you know, because it's, quite a, it's, cause it's a small number of people, because there's 28 students in the room, we can do that. And it works. It works as a format really well. And who um, are the students? Who are, are they established booksellers or are they people just at the beginning of their bookselling career? They're both. Um, I mean, really, really encouraging. We get a lot of younger students. We get a lot of young women coming and doing the course, which is really, really encouraging because, as you know, if you walk around any, any rare book fair, probably 80% of the booksellers are men and men of a certain age at, at that. But I think the, the, the landscape... Uh, the gender landscape of the book trade is changing, and it's changing rapidly. And there are a lot of younger people coming into the profession, and a lot of young women coming into the, pro- into the profession. I would say, I think this year, 60% of our attendees um, were women. Um, but we also have we have so we have everything from junior members of the bigger London firms. In fact, this this year we had. Um, two junior members from an American firm, Parages, who, were, who flew in to come and do the seminar. We have um, old school, if you like, uh, PBFA dealers, and that's the Provincial Booksellers Fairs Association, which is a trade association for rare booksellers in the UK organising fairs up and down the country. Uh, we have chaps who've been PBFA members for 40 odd years, but have only served sold through book fairs and they want, to, they want to develop new skills, you know, teaching an old dog new tricks. They want to come and develop new skills in, in selling books online, how to set up a website, how to use social media, what software best suits their, uh, where they're at with their business. Um, and then we get graduates. We get graduates who've just left university who think, you know what, I really want to get in. I'm a rare book collector. I've just started this collection. I want to get into the rare book trade. We, we get librarians and we get the occasional collector as well who want to see how the book trip to inform their collecting and inform inform their relationship uh, with uh, the booksellers they deal with. They want to see what it's like on the other side of the fence, so to speak. It's a really diverse... That's one of the great things about the course. Uh, it's a really diverse mix. And it helps the students see the breadth and the depth of the trade that they're either in or, or thinking of getting into. Um, and it provides them in those three days with an immediate network of people that they know that they can they can call upon, you know, um, principally the faculty, but also their fellow students. So can I ask, uh, some people might, might wonder why there is a, a need for an event like this. It's possible that some people might think, if you love books, then you can become a bookseller. But it's, it's well, a bit trickier than that, right? Isn't that right, Anthony? Well, what, what, what that, would that were the case? Um, I've been selling books for, crikey, pushing 30 years. And I would go as far as to say I didn't really have the confidence to call myself a bookseller until I was at least six or seven years in. And I'm learning, all, I, somebody with 30 years' experience, I, I'm learning all the time. I'm learning every day. You know, the challenges of new software. I've never done a podcast before, for instance, so this is a new thing for me that I just learned how to do. If you like, I, I say this in my opening address at the seminar, bookselling is less of an occupation and more of a, a vocation or a calling. And it's it very much, uh, um, uh, you know, it, it becomes, you know, you have to dedicate your, 
yourself to it, and it very much becomes a, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, an all-consuming passion. And um, there are there are so many aspects to it um, that you can never stop learning. So you, you inevitably, you know, going coming and doing a course like Yabs is, it, for me certainly, was a, a real eye-opener, setting it up, uh, and I've learned an enormous amount from running the seminar, both from the faculty and the students. Um, I'll digress here, if I may, just a, a little, Richard, because I should say that um, the uh, York Antiquarian Book Seminar is the sister seminar of the Colorado Antiquarian Book Seminar, which has been established um, for upwards of 40 years, I think, and has run at Colorado College in Colorado Springs. And that's a course that I went and attended um, in 2011. And then I went back and attended it again in 2013 with a view to its reproduction. So it's thanks really to the to the generosity of the, of the faculty of the Colorado Antiquarian Book Seminar that the York Antiquarian Book Seminar has been York Antiquarian Book Seminar has been able to happen. I think one of the key things that a, a customer needs from a bookseller is the ability to trust them. To Indeed. trust what they are saying about the book is accurate. Yeah. There's provenance. Um, they know the background to the book, they know why it's important, they know why it's going to be a good addition to their bookshelf. So I, I sort of think trust is the unwritten rule here. It is. It's, well, in the internet age, it is. We teach the students how to sell books at fairs, and I deliver a lecture on, uh, on how to uh, conduct a book business at a book fair, how to run a bookstore at a fair, and, and I deliver a lecture on running an open shop. But what you're talking about is, of course selling books online, and, well, and through catalogues for that matter, but, you know, uh, uh, um, selling books online. And you're right, um, trust from, from, the, from the buyer of the books is of paramount importance. And the first point of contact, how that trust is initially engendered, is in the quality of your catalogue description. Yes, in the photographs, which help enormously, but if you can write a cogent, clear um, catalogue description, then your buyer immediately knows that you've done due diligence on that book. They can tell that you've created it, that, or, or that's in, in an ideal world if you've catalogued it properly, they can tell that you've created it, that you understand what a condition report is, um, and that you've shown due diligence in the examination of the book and then its description uh, as communicated to the buyer. And we teach that to the students. There are there are quite lengthy, there are two lengthy portions of the course um, which are delivered, were delivered this year by, by Justin Croft, who's a very uh, able, long-standing, um, long-standing uh, member of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association. Many of your UK listeners uh, might be familiar with him, or certainly they may have seen him on the Antiques Roadshow. He's the, he's the book buyer on the Antiques Roadshow in the, in the UK. And he delivers the lecture, the lecture on, on cataloging, a book, cataloging a book effectively um, with Simon Beatty. Um, and Simon is a very capable bookseller uh, who started out at Bernard Quaritch in London uh, before going, uh, I think, self-employed uh, at some time, in, I think about eight, eight or ten years ago. But it was Simon's responsibility while working at Bernard Quaritch to teach uh, new staff members uh, basic cataloging skills and that's what he and Justin 
really cogently, really, really clearly uh, do at the seminar. So if you had, um, from the, if you think back of the, to the five events so far, is, has there been one single magical moment that you think sums everything up, that makes it all worthwhile, that shows the benefit of these events? Well, two things. At the end of every course, we give the students a feedback form and, and we ask them, what, did you feel as if you got value for money? Uh, how do you think the course can be improved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we ask them to score the course one out of ten. And I think annually, from the 28 students, about 90% of the students give us something like a nine, between a nine, nine, nine point two, nine point five, one okay, out of yeah. ten. So um, that is its that is an that, that's an incredibly rewarding moment for me at the end of the course looking at the feedback forms and the students this 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 effusive uh thanks that we get for what we delivered and give the students because we're very we are genuinely we we're there because we want the students to succeed all the faculty give of their time for free and um we're there because we just we know how difficult it is to make a living as a bookseller and we're there because we want them to succeed in in the profession that we all that, that sustain us and that we love and enjoy, um, uh, but if I had to pin down one moment in the course which really was very memorable for me, it was it was um, it was last year when uh, Charlie Cox of Charles Cox Rare Books uh, came and delivered a lecture on cataloging and archive, and Charlie is. Charlie was around for probably 40-odd years as a bookseller. And a nicer man, it would be, it would be difficult to find in the book trade. Uh, um, genial, self-effacing, funny, warm, kind-hearted. And um, unbeknownst to the faculty, uh, uh, last year Charlie wasn't well and he knew he wasn't well. But nonetheless, he got in his car from Cornwall and drove the 350 miles to York to deliver a lecture for an hour and a half and then got in the car and drove back again the next day um, but he wasn't well and uh, uh, regardless he delivered this absolutely barnstorming lecture on how to catalogue an archive and he was talking about an archive of letters that Laurie Lee uh, had, had written which he had owned and he was talking about his cataloguing and how he effectively catalogued it and in doing so he quoted from a passage uh, Laurie Lee had written in one of the letters of him striding over this landscape in southern Spain with this hot, spicy sun shining down on his back and, the, you know, the, the, the boots on his feet and the, and the landscape he was walking through. And I tell you what, he had the entire room in the palm of his hand just for two or three minutes there. Everyone in that room was transported to that hillside in southern Spain in the 1930s. Right. So that's Laurie Lee. He was famous for writing Cider with Rosie and... I think it's I Stepped Out One... Midsummer's Morning, Midsummer's right. Morning, yes. Fantastic um, books. And, but, you know, those letters were unpublished and they're probably in an institutional archive somewhere now. So it was only through Charlie's generosity that we were able to, to listen to those passages. And sadly, Charlie, uh, two months, three months later, um, succumbed to cancer and he died from um, complications. I think it was... I think it was cancer. I'm sorry, I may have gotten that wrong, but it, whatever it was, he, 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 he sadly passed away about three months later. So if someone wanted to attend in 2019, how, how would they go about doing that? Well, we open the course to bookings in the spring, so uh, any students that are interested in, in 
and um, thinking about doing the course, they can go and have a look at the course website, which is uh, www.yabsseminar.com, where they'll get a good overview of the course and photographs of attendees and faculty members from previous years. And on that website, there's a, a booking form which goes live, as I said, in the spring. So we, we usually put it live, you know, the, the, the sort of the first week in April. Uh, so if they want to just keep an eye on that um, and, and that simply can, you know, they, they can book and pay through, the, through the, the website. And how much does it cost normally? Uh, the course fees uh, annually are £495. Okay. Uh, uh, just because of rising costs, we might have to raise the course fees by 20 or £25 or so next year, uh, which, are, which is not a great increase, but it's worth mentioning now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the students would have to, you know, they'd have to pay their own way to, to get to York and, and stay in York for three days. Although there are um, some very generous uh, scholarships on offer, uh, which I know um, eight books very, very generously provide two of those annually. Uh, but we also have scholarships from the ABA Educational Trust, um, Bibliopolis, the, uh, the software provider from the US, who many of the American uh, uh, listeners will, will know. Um, uh, the PBFA in the UK provide two scholarships. Um, uh, and they're, they're, uh, Jonathan Kearns, Alison Davis, um, I, think, I think we have eight scholarships this year. So many of those scholarships are not just the course fees, but they also include the accommodation for the duration of the course too. Yeah, I think we sent uh, Daisy and Fiona this year, which uh, and I think they had a good time and uh, we're very positive about it. So yeah, we're, we're happy to to lend a hand. Yeah, great. Okay. That's um, much appreciated. <laughs> no worries. Uh, uh, so a little bit about yourself now. You have been a bookseller for a long time, but can you explain to us how you became a bookseller? Craigie. Uh, well, it is quite a long time ago, so I'll cast my mind back. Well, I was a precocious teenager, and I was supposed to go and do a degree in sociology at Sheffield University. Uh, it occurred to me that I would probably be qualified at the end of that degree to be a social worker, or, God forbid, a sociology lecturer, and I d- didn't want to be either. But I was reading widely at the time, and I was going in and out of the bookshops that were on North Tyneside, and I just kind of thought that I wanted to do it for a living. I mean, I was 19 at the time, um, and I don't know, it just seemed to me that if I went, and, if I went self-employed and, and had three or four years as a bookseller, attempting to, to make a living out of it, I was still living at home at the time with my parents, so I could afford to do that. Um, I could treat the next sort of three or four years as a, as an apprenticeship, and if at the end of it I was earning a living out of it and I wasn't in debt, and I was doing something I really enjoyed, that seemed to me to be a, a more adventurous option than going studying sociology at Sheffield. Interesting subject though it is. Um, so that's what I did. I budgeted the previous owner of my shop into giving me a job. Um, I worked for him for about a year and a half, and then. Uh, um, a bookseller sadly died in South Shields. His stock came up for sale. I missed the auction of his stock. It, the, the stock was was um, sold off shelf by shelf within the uh, within the bookshop. But the de- 
nucleus of the of the shop, if you like. After all, the dealers had had their picnics, which just piled up in this pyramid in the middle of the room. And uh, I, uh, I tracked the shop down after it had closed, looked, saw the pyramid through the window, found the chap's widow, bought the, bought the fixtures and fittings in the, this, this pyramid in the middle of the room and opened up a small shop in an antiques market in the city centre of Newcastle. And um, that's, that was me on my way. I've been doing it ever since. I, um, I've, run, I've run bookstores. I've, I've sold books in Australia, New Zealand. And then in 2006, um, I got the opportunity to buy the shop that I initially started out in, uh, the Keogh Bookshop. And my wife and I, Alice Lavity, we've been running the shop um, uh, ever since. So that pyramid of books, were there any good ones in there? No, there wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the, and if there was, you could have probably bought it off me for a song because I wouldn't have known the difference. I was 19 and green as grass. <laughs> um, but hey, you've got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't realise that you'd actually worked in Keel Row before going on to buy it. So perhaps you could describe what Keel Row Bookshop looks like. Um, so the shop was opened in, two, in 1980 by a chap called Stu Rigard who bought the ground floor premises from a bakery that was going uh, out of business. He bought, the, he bought the ground floor, and then I think about five years later, he was able to buy the flat upstairs and extended the shop upstairs and, and really returned the shop to what it had been, which was a complete house um, originally. It was originally, the shop was originally built in the 1840s as the Sexton's house um, for the church opposite, and the church opposite the shop is this lovely um, mid-17th century um, pile. Um, I'm looking at it now at the, at the office window, surrounded by uh, the, the trees shedding the autumn leaves. Um, it's a lovely aspect at the front. Um, Stu sold up the shop in, uh, let me see, in uh, 1988, and the next owner, uh, Bob Cook, ran it for 18 years. Um, Bob didn't have much of an aesthetic eye for the building, so the building went something to rag and ruin. Um, and I go into this actually in my lecture at, uh, at Yards talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the opportunities in buying, buying failing businesses, buying shops that are being run into the ground or booksellers that are retiring. Books, bookselling and running a high street shop is a very labour-intensive business. It's, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a young man's game, but certainly you've got to have you know, a high degree of motivation and energy to carry it off effectively. And I think Bob just got... He'd been, he'd been there for 18 years, and I saw an opportunity, and, and, uh, and we bought the building. So it's, a, it's an eight-roomed, as I said, Victorian townhouse, uh, 1840s. Um, every room's stuffed full of books. We um, uh, we sell everything from two pound paperbacks through to you know thousands of bo books worth thousands of pounds antiquarian and uh, books and modern firsts um, and the, the shop is the, the shop's pretty well organised now I mean it's everything's alphabetized we have our Abe online stock uh, in the building too we did we did used to have an offsite store but we amalgamated everything brought it all under one roof. Um, and what's your what's your personal passion in books? What what do you what I really like, excites I like, you? I like um, 
I like printed ephemera. I think I, um, you know, books are by the very nature, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're general, you know, even if you have a limited print run, you might get a limited print run, private press print run of 20 copies or 50 copies, and there's an opportunity to come across another edition of that book. And certainly 99% of the books that you'll handle, you'll, you'll, you'll get the opportunity to, to, to handle that book again. But printed ephemera is something else. You know, you, if you get a, a handbill or a broadside provincially printed in the 1820s, 1830s, then there's a pretty good chance that that's the only surviving um, uh, copy of that broadside. And it can, it can re- really be a really interesting vignette of social history that's been completely overlooked. It's, it's, it's uh, by its very nature, it's an ephemeral survivor. I enjoy the, the, uh, uh, you know, the typeface, the language, the, 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 the printing uh, imagination of the, of the provincial printer that produced it, but also the social history that's attached to it. Um, so you must see, you must, sorry to interrupt, you must see a lot of, or, or do you, um, Items associated with the northeast because of your location, well, well, well away from London. Yeah, we do, we do, and there are a lot of reasonably important provincial printers up here, just as there were in, you know, around. I mean, Liverpool was a big uh, 18th and 19th century uh, uh, printing location, as was Edinburgh and York, of course. Um, but so was Newcastle. And yes, we do. We get a lot of. We get. Uh, I think. Um, the history and topography in the regions, uh, in book terms, has, uh, has tended to fade over the course of the last 15 to 20 years and not sell as well as it once did. But I think the northeast has held up better than most most places, and it's still a, a kind of a core strand of of what we do. Um, yeah, there's a there's a, partic- there's a particularly um, uh, innovative printer in uh, Annick, chap called William Davison, and uh, he produced. Uh, I mean, over a, a career spanning nearly 50 years, he produced a huge amount of uh, books, broadsides, periodicals. I think he set up the first newspaper in, in Annick, the Annick Mercury. Um, and uh, typographically, he's got just a, the most amazing eye. Uh, I mean, he created his own cast metal ornaments uh, as, as sort of head and tail pieces and vignettes on, on, the, on, the, um, on the books and broadsides that he produced. Uh, and his work's really rather collectible um, and, and very much sought after. He's got a very strong association with Thomas Buick as well, and that's material that we that we very much like to, to handle if we can. Well, we do. We, we've always got a lot of Buick in stock. Uh, so what's, what's the most valuable book you've ever handled? Well, the most valuable thing I've ever handled is probably not an individual volume, as is often the case. Um, I think the most valuable individual book was... we. we We've had a couple, we've had Casino Royale, the Ian Fleming uh, novel, his first book, 1953. We've had that twice, once uh, without a dust jacket, once in a very fragile dust jacket. Uh, um, uh, so that was a, you know, that was a real boon to get that. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. bought that privately. But I think the best, the best, um, individual thing would be an art would probably be um probably be one of the archives that we've handled we've got an archive at the moment from a um quite an important uh provincial um 
solicitor's offices in Annick, Dixon, Thorpe and Archer, who were the Duke of Northumberland's solicitors for five generations. And we've got a substantial archive of material from that um, from that solicitor's offices, which include all of the copy letter books from that, from that uh, firm going back over, I think, about this 70 or 80 year period. They're all full scap um, manuscript letter books in vellum. And the... Um, they're, they're obviously it's the copy letters of all of the correspondence that went out from the firm over an 80-year period. And and if the firm were good enough to represent the Duke of Northumberland, then every other principal family or majority of the other principal families in the county thought they would uh, they were good enough for them. So it's a real um, you know, it's a really important um, uh, you know uh, a unique insight into the life. Uh, 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 you know, as the people in Northumberland in the in the 18th and 19th centuries. I can imagine. Um, okay, one final question, Anthony. Uh, I always ask this, but what book are you currently reading? Uh, to relax, I just I read hard boiled hard boiled crime fiction. Right. Okay. Um, so Raymond Chandler, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but um, I can't remember the last book I actually sat down. I did read the Philosopher's Stone about three weeks ago. Uh, at, uh, at the behest of my um, at the behest of my ten year old son. Um, well, you should carry on and read the rest. I've I've read every single Harry Potter twice to my children okay. aloud at bedtime. You have to read. You have to keep reading them. Well, he's he's been um, he's been encouraging me to do just that, and uh, I, I probably well, well I'll have to I'll have to give in and 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 uh, do just. Okay, all right, thank you, Anthony. Uh, So that's all we have time for this week. A huge thank you to Anthony Smithson, who has been talking about uh, YABS, the York Antiquarian Book Seminar, and about his own business in the northeast of England, Keel Row Books. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis from Abe Books, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.